Welcome to the Way Church Podcast. The Way Church exists to love God, love others, and make disciples. You can find out more about the Way Church at thewaychurchrva.com. Now we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. You guys can have a seat. Go and grab your Bibles. We're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 4 this morning. 1 Timothy 4. And we'll be picking up where Andy did a great job on leaving us off last week. 1 Timothy 4, starting in verse 11. And we're continuing our series, Cultural Church. And again, we're looking at and really reflecting and asking the question, what kind of church has God called us to be? Because we see churches throughout history taking two different paths. One who is influenced by the culture or a church that influences the culture. And as we've discussed, these are two completely different lanes with two vastly different outcomes. And so it's been a great uh, time just going through 1 Timothy together. And again, our theme verse really comes out of 1 Timothy 3.15 where Paul charges Timothy to correct the conduct within God's household, specifically the local church in Ephesus. And so that's the setting that we have. And so we come to 1 Timothy 4, verse 11. And if you're taking notes, you can title this sermon, Lead by Example. Lead by Example. Which I'd like to take a moment just to say, Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Because fathers, you may or may not know this, but you are called to lead by example. Among many ways. But dads, you have a important role in the life of your family. And the stats continue to show how vital your role is in the family. It talks about children with involved, present dads. That's pretty wide. But with involved, present dads, that children are changed. Just a couple things. The children will have an improved overall emotional and social well-being. Children will be less likely to be mistreated, will do better in school, and boys are more likely to become men who become fathers that are present and active as well. And it may go without saying, but I'm saying it anyway. Involved present dads reduce the parenting stress for moms. Any amens? Moms? Yeah. You can do it. You can say amen. We're, it's all right. We're in church. I know we can say amen. But listen, fathers, one last thing. If you had one verse theme text for fatherhood, I'd recommend Ephesians 6 verse 4. What it tells us is, frankly, raise your children in training and instruction of the Lord. This is the aim of fatherhood. To raise your kids in the training and instruction of the Lord. So bottom line, dads, your ministry matters. Your ministry matters. And for those who have been raised and grew up with bum dads, absent fathers, I pray that this morning that you feel refreshing and you feel the presence of your heavenly father in a new and fresh way because he will never leave you, never forsake you, is always present and is the only good good father. So happy Father's Day. Welcome to the Way Church. We're going to jump in to 1 Timothy 4 verse 11. So you can read with me. He says, command and teach these things. Don't let anyone despise your youth, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Let me ask you this. Have you ever had someone just not like you for seemingly no reason at all? 
Y'all are pretty good people, so yeah, I'm sure you have, right? Yeah. Usually, you probably, yeah, some of us give very good reasons. But it happens. I remember in eighth grade, and I was reflecting on this in a new way this week. In eighth grade, I had a kid not like me because someone told him I said something very nasty about him. And it had been interesting because, you know, I wasn't resistant to fighting back in the day. I was a different kid, had some issues. So I wasn't prone or resistant to fighting someone. But this kid, you know, I was short anyway. So I was like five foot four in eighth grade. Uh, every girl in my class was about a foot taller than I was. But this kid, who was exceptionally mad at me for something I, I legitimately did not do, was about 6'3", 220, right? He was a man in the eighth grader's body. He could just, just dominate me if that were to go that way. Uh, so I would avoid him for a long time. But there, no matter what I said, that I didn't do it, I didn't say it didn't work. It didn't influence him. But it's been interesting in a new way reflecting on this situation in the season of life that I dealt with in eighth grade. My conduct must have given him reason to believe the lie that was said about me. Isn't it interesting? There's something in the way I lived that led him to believe that I actually would have said that very nasty thing about him. Our conduct matters. How we live matters. The example we set matters. And so I don't want us to miss this. Is that one, you can't control how others feel about you, but you can control who others see in you. That's important. So a couple questions just to reflect on. Does your conduct align with your confession? Is there fruit of your faith? And I realize both those questions are filled with Christianese. So let me be very, very frank. Your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Right? What's it saying? What do people see in your life? And it is lined with the words that you say. The example you set will be proof, really, of what you are saying. And everybody's heard the sound parenting strategy of do as I say, not as I... That's right, you can get feedback. Do, right? Sound advice. Not so much, right? Like, I expect you to do this while I do this. And we ex- are wondering why our kids are jacked up. They've seen so much. Like, you're saying something, but your, lines don't, your words don't align with your actions. And so, one, dads need to feel the weight of this on Father's Day. I'm so glad you're here. We want to celebrate you. But feel the weight of the responsibility you have as a dad. But Christians need to feel the weight of this. And so here we have the greatest news that changes everyone who believes life and eternity. That is the gospel of Christ. That Jesus died for your sins and through believing that he paid the price for your sins, that you have new life in him because he conquered sin and death forever and paid the price for our sin. That's the good news that everyone has and everyone who, or it's available to everyone, but everyone who believes has it. And so we as Christians are called to go with this good news and share it. But I wonder, as we share this good news, if people actually see the good news in our actions. I've been reminded that people won't care what you say until they see that you care. So those are words aligned with our walk. So we see here Paul is saying, lead by example in speech and conduct and love and faith and impurity. And I realize as you read this, it's pretty self-explanatory. But I figure since we're here, I might as well dive into each one of them. Sound all right? You guys good with that? Then want you come for no reason. All these are evidence of the Holy Spirit's presence in your life. Same like with the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. They're all what God does 
in you, and ultimately through you. And so he says, lead by example in speech. And we're not necessarily talking about what comes flying out of your mouth when you hit your thumb, when you bump your head, step barefoot on a Lego, whatever that is. Not necessarily that. Definitely could be. But what we see is words matter. And you don't have to spend much time in Scripture at all, and so you see that words have power in them. I mean, Genesis 1, God created all of existence, the whole universe, through words, through speaking. He spoke the universe into existence. And Proverbs 18, verse 21, reminds us that both death and life are in the power of the tongue. And Jesus, as Jesus does, takes all of what the Bible says about the words we use and interprets it into one simple statement. Matthew 12, Jesus says, For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. I don't know about you. There's some gravity in that. Words we say reveals what's in us. I think Ephesians 4, verse 29, gives us some great encouragement with the words we use. It says, No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. So let me ask you this. Do the words you use build up or tear down? Do the words you use, are they graceful or dreadful? Ultimately, do they bring life or death? And some of us need to start with this prayer. This prayer in Psalm 141 is a good prayer, probably for all of us to use, but maybe some more than others. I love you here. Receive this with love that it's intended. Psalm 141, verse 3 tells us, he says, Lord, set up a guard for my mouth. Any amens? Yeah, I know that's right. Keep watch at the door of my lips. It's a good prayer. Keep guard. So he says, lead by example in speech. And he says, lead by example in conduct. And this word conduct, conduct is an all-encompassing phrase for every area of your life. And so, uh, not to have a sermon that sounds like so many ways we've heard sermon, the, the kind of morality type of sermon, or maybe the guidance you've given, maybe sounds a little bit something like, don't cuss, don't smoke, don't drink, don't chew, and don't go with girls that do, you know what I'm saying? That's not what we're saying. But yeah, as Andy so well put it last week, we're called to godliness, or as 1 Peter 1 tells us, holiness. 1 Peter 1.15 tells us, but the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all of your conduct. That's a lot of stuff. So we're to lead by example. In speech and conduct, we're to lead to example in love. And this word is agape love. So this comes from a love for God. So we're called to love God first. And as you love God, it impacts and influences everything we do. And because God is a giving God, we become giving as God's people. So we give of our time. We give of our talent. We give of material possessions because we love the Lord, not trying to earn God's love. But that impacts everything we do. So out of the love for God, we do these things, including loving others which is a high calling when you see how God's called us to love, to love like he's loved. Jesus calls us to love our enemies. So we're to love those who don't like you, right? 
Love our enemies, Matthew 5. We're to love those who are different from you. It's an interesting day to think about this. In Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan, there's a lot of depth in what he's teaching there, but one thing he's confronting head-on is the racial tensions of the day. Specifically. And behind that, we see that there is no room for racial tensions in God's kingdom. And this is interesting, and we need to be reminded of this on a day called Juneteenth, June 19th, when we remember the freedom that finally came to so many that were enslaved. Sin. And we're still battling the same racial sinfulness today. And so before you hear any political stance on this, please know that any injustice is a biblical issue, not a political one. Does that make sense? So we're to love those who are different from you, those who don't like you, and those who are like you. And this could be the most tricky because we're talking about other Christians. This is what the new command Jesus gives to love one another. He's talking to Christians loving Christians. Why? Because loving Christians is hard. Welcome to church. In John 13, he tells, us, tells his disciples, I give you a new command, love one another just as I've loved you, you also love one another. And the kicker is this, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. To a watching world, how are we doing? Just generally broad brush stroke of Christianity, not good. In this church specifically, I'm thankful for you because I see a genuine love for one another. And for those who are outside the church family, which we are called to do. Our love for God, an overflow as we love others. And so we see that this leading example of love comes from the example God set in loving others. This agape is how God is described. God is agape. God is love, 1 John 4, 8. And we're able to love because he first loved us, 1 John 4, 19. And what this love looks like is this love produces action. This love produces an action through us, which looks something like Romans 5.8. For God proved his own love for us in that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't let you clean yourself up enough first. He didn't say, go stop doing this, start doing that, clean yourself up, and then come to me because we can't. You can never be good enough to come to Christ. That's why he loved us so much that he died in our place while we were sinning, rebelling, and not wanting his forgiveness. He extended forgiveness to us anyway. And it's applied by faith alone in Christ alone, by his grace alone. This is the kind of love that we are to receive and then to set the example in. Set the example in love. It says, lead by example in faith. And just a couple of questions as we look at this. Does your life show a reliance on the Lord? Or when life squeezes you, what flows out? I don't know if you ever felt the squeeze of life this week, maybe this morning, even getting the squeeze of life. When it squeezes you, when the pressure's on, what comes out? It can demonstrate where your faith is or who your faith is in. When anxieties raise up, when fear comes in, it's a check engine light to show you that your faith has shifted. Moving from the Lord into you name the thing, sometimes it's myself or yourself. 
I can be kind of a control freak. I like having control because that's a safe area. It's not good when following Jesus. It's not. When you try and control all these things, no wonder why we're anxious and fear-ridden because we don't have as much control as we would like to have or think we do. Watchman Nee was a believer in China. Watchman's, Watchman Nee's life was really marked with a lot of persecution and suffering. And ultimately, he ended up dying in prison after being wrongfully accused for his faith. But he says this. He says, faith looks not at what happens to him, but at him whom he believes. Faith looks not at what happens to him, but at in him whom he believes. So another way is maybe not asking the question, God, why are you doing this to me? But rather, God, what are you going to do through me? Because there's not a moment wasted in God's sovereignty. That's why I think such a powerful prayer starting your day is, God, your will be done, your kingdom come. For me, it puts my agenda in check. I'm a planner, task-oriented, and if I run with that too much, again, it can cause frustration. So I don't know, maybe your days are perfect, but mine are not. But do I trust the Lord through it all? Live by example in faith, and finally, live by example in purity. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time in this, but there is a, a dual emphasis on integrity and purity and sexuality. And again, we talked about week one, that Ephesus was a lot like our culture now. A lot of sexual relation perversion. Not much has changed over 2,000 years and longer. And so we're called to have a sexual purity. And all I'm going to say really is sexuality is not a bad thing. Do we know that? Actually, it's a very good gift from God. We shouldn't be ashamed to talk about sex. Sex is God's gift to be enjoyed within the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman. I didn't write it, but I believe it. But we've taken it and ran with it. Made it a perversion. And it's not the way God intended. We're called to lead by example in our purity. So what we see here is Paul is encouraging Timothy to set the example for the believers that he is called to lead. And Paul, Timothy's in this interesting dynamic. He has a couple qualities that he's fulfilling. There's a pastoral and apostle qualities that he is fulfilling. And so you see that as he's given these instructions by Paul to implement change in this local church. But they saw that he was young and so Paul's encouraging him to set the example, lead by example, and they will see it. Because what Paul already saw is the example that God is setting in Timothy. Remember, Paul was with Timothy a lot before he set Timothy out to lead this local church. So he's already seen this, so Paul's reminded Timothy what Paul's already seen in his life. So he's encouraging him to continue to lead by example because he's witnessed it. Look at verse 13. He tells them, he says, Until I come, give your attention to public reading, exhortation, and teaching. Don't neglect the gift that is in you. It was given to you through prophecy with laying out of hands by the council of elders. And here's what we need to see in this. That God's people were always meant to be people of God's word. Always. God's people were meant to be people of God's word. Because God's word is 
powerful. It was given to us by God himself, inspired by the Holy Spirit, all of it. And this church believes all of it. In case you're wondering where we stand biblically, we believe all of it. We believe it's infallible, without error, because it's God's word. We believe it. Hebrews 4.12 reminds us that the word of God is living and effective. So he calls them to read and exhort, which means preach, or exposition and application. Let me explain that real quick. The exposition of scriptures, what we do here on Sunday mornings, means you come to a text, and you don't put your ideas into it. You pull the main idea from it, and then apply it. So we don't need to create what this text means. We know what it means, but how do we take it and apply it? Read and exhort. And again, this is within the context of a local church. And I'm reminded of the power of God's word and the emphasis of God's word for God's people throughout the generations. In Nehemiah chapter 8, Nehemiah was led to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem because they had been broke down, the people had been scattered. And so God led Nehemiah on this command and task to rebuild the walls. And so, by God's grace and God's provision, the walls are rebuilt through Nehemiah's leadership. The people are returned. And then you have this scene in Nehemiah 8 where the people all come together and Ezra is put up on a platform and he brings out the book of the law. And Nehemiah 8 tells us this. It says, Ezra opened the book in full view of all the people. And since he was elevated above everyone, as he opened it, all the people stood up. Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and with their hands uplifted, all the people said, amen, amen. Can I give you freedom to raise your hands in church? Is that cool? You can even say amen every once in a while. Um, isn't that wild? Crazy. And it says they knelt low and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. You don't see that happening much. But what was the seers, as the word of God is read, there's a worship that is a response, what God does. It says they read out of the book of the law of God, translating and giving meaning so that the people could understand what was read. Or reading and exhorting with teaching. Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra the priest and the scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to all of them, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. It says, For all the people were weeping as they heard the words of the law. And here's what we need to see. God's word will bring correction by God's Spirit, which is actually encouraging. God is a good God. And because he's a good, loving, faithful father, he does correct and discipline those whom he loves. And so, dads, correction is good when you do it from a place of love. The danger is when we get frustrated, right? When we get mad and we correct from a place of anger. That's the gray or That's the caution. Because that's not what God does. He corrects from love. Love is correction. So you see these people were convicted, but they didn't stay in their conviction and meaning of weeping. It says in verse 11, Nehemiah 8, And the Levites quieted all the people, saying, Be still, since today is holy. Don't grieve. Then all the people began to eat and drink some portions and have a great celebration because they had understood the words that were explained to them. Know that the word of God brings correction and encouragement. We see our sin our depravity, 
our great need for a Savior, and then we see what God did sending the Savior so we don't have to stay in our helpless state. We don't have to stay in the muck and mire. We've been redeemed. We've been called a child of God. He's rescued us. He's saved us. We've come from death to life because of God's grace and who he is and the goodness of God. So if you stay in conviction and you leave here feeling sorry and, and beat down, you have not read the right gospel. And we have not done a good job of reading and exhorting the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because there's so much life-giving power in knowing the God who loves us so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. This is the good news of the gospel. But it's the power of God's word. So we see devotion throughout all of history to God's word. We saw two weeks ago the apostles in this starting of the church. The church was just growing. People were being saved and baptized and coming to faith. And the church was growing numerically. And issues start to arrive because when, when people come together, issues happen because people are people, Christians are not. And so they set aside deacons, sign deacons to meet the very practical need so that they could focus on the ministry they were called to, specifically ministry of prayer and God's word. And we see Jesus when he was tempted in Matthew 4. He says, man cannot live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Going back to last week again, I think Andy did a fantastic job, especially I love the part, just focusing on the nourishment that we need. We know a lot about, about physical nourishment and the health of our bodies. And I was reminded, if you only ate once a week, would you be nourished? The answer is no. I'm not a dietitian. The answer is no. You'd be malnourished. But yet we kind of treat the word of God like that. We come to worship on some Sunday mornings, right? I mean, two times out of a month, doing pretty good, 50%. That's Hall of Fame stats in the MLB. Listen, but we treat that like, okay, we've been nourished, let's go through our week, but we are malnourished if that's the only intake we have of God's Word. But that is why we have such a strong focus on God's Word here. That is the main diet of what we preach and teach, is God's Word. Because that is what ultimately we need. And God's people are to be people of God's Word. So we do. We worship around God's Word Sunday morning. Individually, we spend time in God's Word. And that's why we want everyone, the secrets out, in this church family to be in a D group, a discipleship group. Because it's heavily focused on God's Word. And what are you going to do about it? It's not a Bible study. Bible studies, you just sit, sit there and learn some good facts and go on your way. Discipleship groups are not. We're to be hearers and doers of God's Word. And so if you're not in a discipleship group, discipleship group, I encourage you to be in one. I strongly encourage you to be, one, be in one. We've seen so much growth in this D-group ministry because we're walking alongside each other, encouraging each other, and holding each other accountable to what God's Word is showing them in their lives in a healthy way. We're to be nourished by the Word of God. And so we see here, to, he's commanded to read and exhort. And it says with teaching. And teaching is a gift he was given to implement these things as we see teaching in, in Romans 12, 7. It's a gift. And so it's, it's a good reminder that pastors are to read and teach, but the Holy Spirit corrects and encourages. I've said it several times. I want to say it again. There's only one teacher here. It is the Holy Spirit. He's the one that's going to teach and lead. It's amazing how many times I hear, that was such a great... Well, couple things. I love hearing encouragement of what God's doing in your life through the sermon that we give. But it's always amazing to me. It's like, I love the part when you said this. 
And I'm thinking, praise God, that's awesome. Uh, I wish I would have said that because I didn't. But God showed you, so praise God. God teaches as we come together as his church, learning and receiving his word. The encouragement that Paul gives Timothy here is said in a shorter way. 2 Timothy 4.2 tells him to preach the word. Preach the word. So Paul is telling Timothy, lead by example in your living and by example through your teaching. And then we see in verse 15, he says, practice these things. Look at verse 15. He says, practice these things, be committed to them so that your progress may be evident to all. Pay close attention to your life and your teaching. Preserve these things, for in doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And I love Timothy because he was just an ordinary guy who God did extraordinary things through. Just an ordinary guy. I think we can derive that from the many encouragements that Paul gives here. Just an ordinary guy. So how did God do extraordinary things through just an ordinary guy? Well, very simply... He was willing to put his yes on the table. He's willing to say yes. I think that's a stumbling block for some of us. We, we just can't say the yes. And so we miss God moving so many times, and we, act, we don't see God work and move, and we're wondering, God, are you, are you even here? Well, we're not spending time in his word, and we're not moving in faith and saying yes. Timothy said yes, but what we see here is Timothy no doubt was timid. Tim and Timothy. I never heard him called that, but I'm going to start now. Tim and Timothy. Why do I say that? You see the many encouragements that Paul feels like he needs to give to Timothy. In verse 12, we saw, don't let anyone despise your youth. In verse 14, don't neglect the gifting God has given you. Also in verse 14, tells him, remember the elders who recognized and affirmed your God-given gifts when they prayed and laid hands on you as if he needed to remember that. And in 2 Timothy 1.7, he tells Timothy, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. So there's no doubt that Timothy needed some encouragement, and Paul saw that. And I think we need that sometimes. And I think we can't miss this. I think sometimes we do. Is God leading in your life will feel uncomfortable to show you that he is dependable. It's amazing. Maybe it's I'm alone, but I really don't start depending on God until I need God. Maybe it's just the way I'm wired. But when I do that, and when I have done that, that's where I see God move the most in very tangible, present ways, is when I actually need him, when I'm desperate for him. And throughout history, we see God has chosen, this should be encouragement, God has chosen those with seemingly little ability and no notoriety for his glory. I think that's the point. If you feel like you're unable, unequipped, scared, frightened, good. That means God's probably calling you to do that thing. Because he calls the people who are the least of these, the unlikely. I love Acts 4. Peter and John are arrested for proclaiming the gospel and stands before the religious leaders. In Acts 4, verse 13, the religious leaders, it says they observed the boldness of Peter and John and then realized that they were uneducated and untrained men and they were amazed and recognized they had been with Jesus. So anyone else feel uneducated, maybe a little untrained? Praise God because you be used in mighty ways for the Lord. Ever mess up? Ever feel frightened? Ever misspoke? Ever had some mistakes, fears, and failures? Guess what? You'd be a great disciple. Read the Gospels. 
That's what's so encouraging about God's word. You see that people who had messed up past, checkered past, shady people, God calls, redeems, and uses for his glory. So, what is holding you back from boldly living obediently for Jesus? What's holding you back? And here's a warning. We are, maybe more than you know, we have been and we are being influenced by the culture and the crowds. The culture, self-explanatory, the crowds are just people in our lives. We're being influenced. I was just reminded, when thinking about boldness, you know, we have seven kids, right? Well, it's going from 19, number seven will be here in a few months, all right? Seven kids, and so we've seen a lot of things, as you can imagine. My father-in-law calls them the JV and varsity team. So we got our three oldest kids, 19, 14, 10. Our younger kids go from four, three, one, and almost here. But what's amazing, I've seen the progression as they've grown. And so they go from toddlers who don't have any care in the world, running around the house naked as a jaybird, you know what I'm saying, just whatever, completely bold in who they are, to things, things start changing as they get older. They become more self-conscious, more aware of their fears or failures or faults. And I think it's an influence issue. I think you start losing your identity because you start believing the lies that you've been fed, the lies that people have told you, the insults that you've had, the marketing campaigns of whoever you want to look at out there. Tells you you need to be this, be that, do this. Social media tells you if you're not parenting this way, if you're not you know, living this way, then things need to change. And you look at all these influences and you just don't measure up. Something changes. It's amazing to me. Our identity becomes shaped more by the culture and the crowds than by Christ. At least we forget. Maybe it's just me. I think we need to remember that you, regardless of your past, regardless of the junk that you've been through or going through, John 3 says you have been born again by faith in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us you are a new creation because of what Christ did in you when you believed in him. The Holy Spirit makes you a new person. You're not the person you used to be. Are you still going to mess up from time to time? Yes, but the evidence and the result is you don't stay there. And God has gifted us, every Christian, with spiritual gifts. And so it affects how we live. Do we still bring the baggage from our background that we've asked for forgiveness from and received it because of Christ Jesus, but we still want to drag it around with us? And we want to believe the lies that we've swallowed instead of believing the promises of Scripture that we're redeemed, we're chosen, we're God's people. And even from creation, we're created just as God had intended you to be. Warts, lack of hair, all that junk, just as God intended it. We have an identity crisis in the church and outside the church. It's because we forget that God has created us exactly how he intended. And now our identity, because of our faith in Christ, is rooted in Christ. That's where our boldness comes from. Not from your ability. Our boldness is rooted in Christ, ultimately for his glory. And so we have all been gifted with gifts to use. If you're in Christ Jesus, you have been given a gift to use. 
And so I'm asking, what stops us from using God's giftedness in our lives? Maybe you didn't know you have gifts. Or maybe you've heard of this gifting thing, but you don't know what or how you are gifted. Listen, programs aren't the solve of everything, but programs can be good. And we have this program called What's Next that we give the first Sunday of every month to help people discover and thrive in the way God's gifted you. So we're gifted in a way to use our gifts. I just wonder what holds us back sometimes. And there's no secret, if God's calling you to this church, the expectation is that you serve. You serve. Why? Because God's gifted you to serve. So we just try to implement the Bible. I know it's crazy, it's radical, The Christians are called to serve. And so members of this church, they're expected to serve in the way God's gifted you. And sometimes you've got to try certain things, right? Like, I don't know if I should be in kids, I'll try it. Then you find out, wow, kids ain't my thing, right? That happens. What's stopping us from living obedient to Christ? And that's why I make one note of the one word in this, this verse in 15. He says, so that your progress may be evident to all. It's interesting. The progress is like on a journey, progressing through a journey. This makes me just kind of think about us and how we need to be patient both in our progress and in the progress of others. Church word, sanctification. Sanctification is the ongoing progress of Christ making you more like himself. Over time, not overnight. So we're all on this journey, progressing. And so he's telling Timothy, listen, they need to see the progress for God's glory so that they can start following you because God is working in you and through you and has for a long time. But for us, we see people and we're like, man, I'm just not quite there. Or we look at ourselves and we're like, I keep messing up. And we get mad and frustrated and there's a line there from conviction or self-condemnation. So God's a patient God. And sometimes we need to be a little more patient with ourselves and, dare I say, more patient with others because they're not at your level. You know what I'm saying? Is that just me? Listen, I'm not the Christian I used to be 20 years ago. Will I still save 20 years ago? Yes, yes, absolutely. But God has done a work in me throughout 20 years. And you may not know this. My wife does. I got a long way to go. I got a long way to go. But it also talks about persistence in your progress. You stay pursuing the Lord, abiding in Christ, right? This staying rooted and grounded in worshiping the Lord, spend time with other Christians, craziness. We weren't meant to be alone. Spend time in his word, prayer, all that God designed because he knows that we need him to spend time with him, to know him so that we can know and love him. It gives an encouragement to play, pay close attention to your life and your teaching. Again, the significance of what we say and show. Leading by example. And finally, just closing with the first two verses of chapter 5. He says, Don't rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with purity. This is familial language. This is family language. And not like 2022 family. Back in 2,000 years ago, they actually had respect for family units, right? So think about actually respecting your fathers and mothers. Y'all do. I'm talking about other people. Respecting fathers and mothers. So what's he saying? He doesn't say don't correct them. 
He says it needs to be done with respect, gentleness. This is how we're to treat one another. To correct and encourage. Correction is needed sometimes. In a brotherly, loving, sisterly way. Out of care for the other person, not trying to prove your own point. It's familial. And so Christianity and the way church, we are a family of believers. With crazy cousins, unusual uncles, all the mix, we got them all. We're still family because of Christ. And so how we treat one another matters. And we need encouragement and sometimes correction. I go back to Hebrews 10, verse 25 a lot, which says not to neglect the gathering together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approach. And that day approaching is Christ will return one day. Guaranteed. And as he returns, before he returns, things are going to get worse and more difficult for believers. You think it's hard now? I haven't seen anything. Unless you look at other countries. Other countries, they're ready for Jesus to return right now because of severe persecution they're enduring. What's this telling us? We need to gather together. We need one another. We need the encouragement to gather. And as the push continues to go distant in worshiping together, resist that temptation because we need to gather. We need to do life with one another throughout the week, not just Sunday mornings. That's why we arrange certain ministries because we looked in the Bible and said, you know what? Christians actually did life together. Isn't that amazing? Almost like God designed it that way. It's incredible. So we're going to live by God's word or not. Do we trust him or not? It comes down to your relationship with him. So as, as we close, you, we know that as the word is proclaimed, God does the work that only he can do. So I'm going to invite our worship team back up here, and we're going to continue worshiping. And we do through the, many ways we worship. I mean, we, we worship through reading, exhorting, and teaching the Word. We worship through singing. We worship through responding. This is what I mean. I know when God's Word's preached, He's doing something in your life. So I know, because every week as I prepare for this time, God is revealing and pulling back many layers in my own life. Blind spots. When I thought about conduct this week, the words I use... Start peeling back layers in my own life. But know that's God's grace. That's conviction. God's grace is showing you that these things were going astray and to come back and to trust him because he's trustworthy, he's good, and he's present. And these are loving corrections. Maybe there are things that you just need to take right now and resolve in your own life, either with the Lord or with someone else. Maybe for the first time you're finally seeing, you know, I've known Jesus, at least known about him. I could quote figures and facts, Bible verses. But finally you've seen the connection from the head to the heart to where you trust Jesus. And this is a difference maker. It's not knowing facts and figures It's trusting that he is Lord over every area of your life. So do you trust him? That's what faith is. Do you trust him? I don't know what God's doing in your life. I'm going to invite you to respond. What we're going to do, I'm going to lead us in prayer. We're going to pray together. I'm going to invite you to pray. 
as the Lord leads you just right there where you're sitting. And then we're going to sing another worship song. And I want you to continue to respond as the Lord's leading you. So maybe for you, that's just sitting right where you are and continuing to pray. Maybe it's grabbing, grabbing someone around you and praying together. We'll have a prayer team over here. We're here to pray with you, to encourage you, and to equip you to live the life and ministry that God's called you to live. However we can do that, we want to pray with you and for you. But my encouragement to you is to respond to what God's doing right now, in this time, in your life. So let me pray for us. I invite you to pray with me. Let's continue to worship the response. Father, right now, we just come before you. We're so grateful for the word that you've given us to see you, to know you, and to know ourselves, Lord. Lord, we thank you for showing us our great need that we have for you. And seeing our great need, we see your great love that you've extended to us. Father, I pray that right now that you resolve and settle those issues that you've shown us in our lives, that you lead us to respond in a way that's conviction to encouragement, not conviction and condemnation. Because we know that in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. We have been created new, God's children, redeemed, chosen in you dearly loved and never forsaken, Father. So let us walk in that boldness, knowing that we are new in you, Lord. Lord, if there's anything that we have sinned against you or others, show that to us, Father. Bring us a heart of repentance to receive forgiveness that you've promised. And Lord, as we bring our sins and our failures and our mistakes to you, lay them at your feet, help us not bring them back and keep beating ourselves over the head with it. Help us to lay them down knowing that we have been washed clean by the blood of Christ, knowing that when you said it is finished on the cross, that means all debt, our sin, debt has been paid in full. So let's walk in the confidence knowing that we are forgiven people, chosen and loved by you. And let us go with that love and showing that love to one another, living and abiding in your love, Father. Lord, continue to move us, continue to shape us, continue to change us, continue to lead us on this progress, this journey that it is to follow you. Father, I pray you bring encouragement and refreshing to our souls this morning in the only way that you can. Lord, I say you lead us in the rest of the time of this worship. I thank you for all that you're doing. We thank you for Jesus. And Lord, we pray all this in the mighty name, the name that is above every other name. That is the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Way Church Podcast. If you would like prayer or if you'd like to talk to someone about a personal relationship with Jesus, please contact us through our website at thewaychurchrva.com.